The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, the Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I am joined, as always, by Jason Munns, our Tiger basketball beat writer. Uh, another week, uh, another uh, step in the right direction for the Memphis basketball program. Uh, they sweep UCF uh, after splitting with SMU. And they've now won five of their past six games. They've moved to 11 and six overall, seven and three in league play. Um, and uh, they've created all, a lot a lot more intrigue than you than seemed feasible even just a couple of weeks ago with how well they've played. Um, we'll get into all that. We'll get into the big picture of of the conference race now now as there's there's only nine regular season games left. Um, and Memphis controls its own destiny suddenly in the AAC title regular season title race. Um, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament. Yes, the NCAA tournament is something you can maybe start discussing again because of this streak. Um, and uh, and we'll delve into some. I, I found some interesting statistics that we might want to discuss. Some things that caught me by surprise as you take a big picture look at what Memphis has done through 17 games. But let's start here, Jason. Let's start with these most recent two wins. Um, On Monday night at FedEx Forum, Memphis beats UCF by 27 points, 96-69. You know, just an absolute, you know, blowout from the start. They go up 17-3 and never look back, never trailed. Um, and then last night, Wednesday night, we're recording this on Thursday morning, uh, they go into FedEx Forum and win by 14 over UCF uh, in a game where they don't shoot it as well as they had been. Um, but otherwise, they looked about as good as they have over the past five or six games, um, ultimately win by 14 points in a, you know, dis- you know in, a, in a situation that uh, was – certainly complicated playing the same team twice in three days and also just didn't lend itself to blowing them out twice. And yet here we are, they still won comfortably uh, last night at FedEx forum. So um, I guess, Jason, what were your biggest takeaways from this UCF series, if you will, other than the fact that I'll, I'll just say this UCF looks really bad. I mean, <laughs> they might be the worst team in the league. Um, they, they, they turn the ball over more than Memphis. Let's just put, you know, like that's, that's really ultimately, um, the most damning, uh, statistic of all they, they, they turn the ball over the Memphis and it's not really even close. Like they are egregiously bad, uh, with holding onto the ball, but, but that's why I think it was important. Memphis took care of business against a bad team. You know, they won comfortably both games against a bad team, uh, you know, Three four weeks ago, I you know we, we saw in those even in those bye games in December they weren't doing that they were not winning comfortably against bad teams that was it, it felt more of a struggle than it did these past two. 
but what are your big takeaways, Jason, from these uh, these two wins now, given Memphis five wins in six games? Allow me to answer your question with a question. If I had told you that if I told you on Sunday that Memphis would commit 18 turnovers, mm-hmm. shoot three of 13 from three, mm-hmm. and shoot 72% from the free throw line, which is 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 improved. Granted, it's it's improved. Yeah, I think they're shooting like sixty one percent for the season. Yeah. So, granted, that's improved, and they would only out rebound UCF by six. Mm-hmm. Would you believe me if I told you that they would win by fourteen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, what's what's amazing is it's. The what they last night against UCF, they basically played the way they played, except for the fact that they couldn't hit threes and they'd been hitting threes the previous five games. So, honestly, like considering they beat them by 27, like it makes sense they beat them by half that because they didn't hit as many threes. Um, I, I, mean, I just to say, my point, is, my point is that the biggest reason why they won four out of five before beating UCF on Wednesday. And Penny even said this after Monday's game is their ability to their improved ability to hit three pointers. They were shooting like 40, almost 49% from three over those five games um, better than any five game stretch since Penny Hardaway took over, at least Mm -hmm. since he took over and uh, you take that away they shot what twenty eight percent or whatever it was last night. Three of thirteen, um, I believe, from three point range. Yeah, so whatever that works out to, twenty three percent, twenty three point one percent. You know, you take that away from them, and they still win by fourteen. That to me is is a pretty good indication of where the Tigers are right now. They can they can they you can take away what they've been doing best, and you can still win by fourteen points now. As you mentioned, that's partially an indictment of how bad UCF is. I don't think you could shoot 23% against SMU and beat them, or you can shoot 23% against, say, Wichita and beat them. But nevertheless, it's it's still pretty a pretty good, I think, indication of, of exactly where Memphis is today compared to where they were even three weeks ago. Yeah, well, what's what's I think what's been – uh, one of the underlying reasons why they found this groove is roles are being better defined now. You know, you've, you've seen over the last two games, Boogie Ellis has been in star- inserted into the starting lineup as the point guard, as the starting point guard. And he's given him a spark both games at the beginning of the game. Like both game, both UCF games, he was good at the beginning of the game um, in that starting role. And Lomax looked pretty comfortable coming off the bench. Um, he seems pretty comfortable coming off the bench. Like he has no problem leading the team in assists in a reserve role. Um, you've got, you know, Landers Nolly is now, you know, uh, is becoming, has, 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 has gotten more consistent as a score. Um, this five, six game stretch, he's been involved every game. And his outside shooting is living up to what Penny built it as before the season. I mean, he's been become a really he's a high, high volume shooter, but he's shooting almost four. He's still shooting basically forty percent from three. 
Um, so that's good. Like you want guys who are shooting 40% from three to take a lot of threes. Um, Lester Quinones has become like the consummate glue guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's sacrificing some scoring to create for others and also happens to defend, you know, oftentimes is defending the best player on the other team and scraps as a rebounder, averaging more than five rebounds per game. Um, and then you got Musa, who has figured out that, you know what, I don't need to, you know, and Memphis, I, I should say Musa's figured out, but Memphis has also figured out too. Like, we don't need to be feeding Musa the ball with his back to the basket and the paint. Like, Musa needs to be dunking. He needs to be running the floor like a six foot ten cheetah is how I described him in my column today. Or he needs to be rebounding and getting putbacks. And what he's shown is when he's doing that and he's doing it well, like he can really change the trajectory of a game just doing that at this point. Um, yeah. And he's been pretty. He's been he's been pretty effective uh, in recent games doing it. And and then even DJ Jeffries seems to be. You know, I, I know it's been kind of a disappointing season for DJ, but ultimately he does look more comfortable coming off the bench now. And his number, I, his numbers actually aren't that bad. And I'll get into that in a second. He's actually leading the team in three-point shooting right now. And um, in terms of percentage, uh, he's shooting 41%. But in general, and then, you, you know, and then Penny also. You see Penny is not um, – Yes, he's still doing the wholesale line changes with substitutions. He's playing 10 guys. But it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't studied the numbers totally yet, but just anecdotally, it feels like he's given guys a longer leash recently. Um, you know, the starters, have played, maybe that's just a product of they're playing well, so he's willing to stick with them longer. But you just there's just more. They just seem totally, completely, like in a two-week span, because we're, we're recording this on Thursday, um, February 4th. It was 16 days ago that they played Wichita State. So in 16 days, it just it's amazing. A little over two weeks, it's amazing how much more connected they feel and, and, and cohesive they feel as a team. And um, it makes you think about what, what could be here over the last – you know, it, we've seen over the last two weeks what they've done. What are they going to look like two weeks from now when – They've played ECU, they've played Cincinnati, they've played, and then they play at Houston and at Wichita State. If they have the same two weeks they just had this past two weeks as, you know, the next two weeks, I mean, then we're really cooking with gas. Um, so uh, just a really encouraging few weeks for the program. It just, if you can just sense it, they've turned the corner. Um, and whether it's enough to make the NCAA tournament, whatever. At least they've turned the corner. At least they've uh, – it's not like a season that feels like a just forgettable lost season. This feels meaningful now. Yeah. I, for me, I think they're rounding the corner. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they've completely turned it. Those turnovers and that free throw shooting is is still – you know, those are, those are still problems, uh, you know – I feel like like for them to officially turn the corner, 
you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show some sign of progress. And last night they did, at least in one stat column, they um, were much better from the free throw line than they have been most of the season. Well, well, I would say this, they can't basically the way they played last night. I don't, that's probably not enough to beat Houston, for instance, like you need to, you, you can't, you either like to me, Hopefully you can – you either need – you need to cut down on your turnovers a little. I don't think they're ever going to be like a ball security team where they're committing like nine turnovers a game. No. But if you can commit 15 turnovers against Houston and also hit your threes, that's the formula for beating them because you know you're going to play defense. Now, Houston is the one team in the league that's actually better than Memphis in every de- defensive category, but regardless – what you did last night where you you turned the ball over 18 times and didn't shoot from three, that probably won't work. You know, you're, you're reluctant. You were lucky in the sense that you were playing a bad team last night, that that didn't matter. Um, yeah. But ultimately um, I don't know. It all feels pretty sustainable. I know they're like, maybe the three point shooting will tail off a bit, but, and this is what I wanted to move into. If you look at the statistics, like if you look at this team statistically, it it's amazing how two weeks has turned this from like a mundane season into one of the better seasons, at least statistically, right now in recent memory for Memphis. Like that, I'm I'm being serious. Like you look at it, like you were mentioning the free throws and turnovers, Jason. So Memphis, if you go through the conference statistics in the AAC. Memphis is top four in every category, every category you could think of, except turnovers, turnover margin, and free throw shooting. Those are the categories where in the lead, in, in within the AC, they are not close. You know, they are sixth in turnover margin, seventh in assist to turnover ratio, and tenth in free throws. But other than that, they're top four in everything, and they lead the league in block shots lead the league in steals, second in assists, lead the league in three-point shooting percentage, second in the league in three-point defense. Um, what else here? Um, they, they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> there's a lot of things they're pretty darn good at. Um, they're the only team in the league, Jason, that has four guys among the top 15 in three-point shooting percentage. It's DJ Jeffries at 41%. Uh, uh, Landers Nolly at 39.8%, Lester Quinones at 35.9%, and Boogie Ellis at 35.3%. In fact, I didn't even realize this, they have seven guys shooting better than 35% from three right now. DeAndre Williams, Damian Ball, and Alex Lomax are all shooting above 35% from three. Now, those last three, DeAndre, Damian, and Alo, very small sample size compared to the other four. But nonetheless, I mean, it's just um, striking. I mean, you look at it like Alo is fourth in the AAC in assists, and this one shocked me, fourth in assists to turnover ratio Um, because we think of him as being pretty turnover prone. Um, but which, he's which he is, which, which he is, but he's got, he's got 70, tur- 70 points or 70 assists. And, and I believe 30 or 31 turnovers right now is what it is. Something like that. Maybe it's a little, yeah, he's got, that. yeah, he's got 31 turnovers. Yeah. 
um, which is second on the team. Uh, Landers Nolly has 38. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that, that the, the assist to turnover ratio success that Alex has right now um, is a is as much of a product of how good of a distributor he's been as it is uh, well, anything else. And actually, he's third in terms. DJ actually leads the team with 41 turnovers. Um, oh, there. Yeah. Okay. Right now. Yeah, um, but no. And then you, you just go individually through this. I mean, you know, Musa leads the league in blocks. He's fourth in offensive rebounds, eighth in defensive rebounds. Um, you know, Lester and DJ are both in the top 20 in the league in rebounds. I mean, it's not like it, it's not overwhelming. I don't know. It just caught me off guard. Some of the, like the fact that they lead the league in three point shooting percentage and frankly, it's largely based off these last uh, five or six games. Is pretty remarkable. Well, uh, in my mind, my biggest takeaway from that is that if they, because they were not very good um, by and large in that area mm-hmm. early this season. So, does that mean that if they can improve there, they can improve from the free throw line? Does that mean that? that we should expect them to improve from the free throw line. If they're going to improve, if they can improve that way from, you know, from in, in one area, can they not do it in another? And, and yeah, and like, a, and like I said, will they, can they improve their turnover ratio? Can they go from 16 turnovers a game, which is just and still it's rising. It's rising. It was, yeah. you know, like the past week or two, it's been like, that's been the one thing that has not really gotten better is the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for goodness sake, the first UCF game, Jason, they turned the ball all over almost twenty on almost twenty six percent of their possessions. So they scored ninety six points, even though one out of every four possessions they didn't even they, they just threw the ball away. Like <laughs> they could have scored one hundred twenty points on Monday if they yeah. had just turned the ball over a regular amount. Yeah, I'm I'm, ske- I'm I'm skeptical about the turnovers. Last year, they finished the season with 16 and a half turnovers per game. They're at 16 turnovers a game this year. I just, I just don't. Now they're they're shooting better than last year, though. That's right. the big difference right now. They're shooting right. the ball a lot better. And that's what I'm saying. I, I think you can expect improvement from the free throw line, and if you if you get that um, consistently. And you sprinkle in a few games where you only turn it over 10 times, let's say, um, you, you know, you, you, you have a game or two or three with 10 to 12 turnovers in those games. If they come against the right team, then yes, like you said, we're cooking with gas at that point. Yeah. Um, so, but the bigger, the bigger, we're, you're talking a lot about this two week span, this 15 day span where they go from Wichita state to, to the last win against UCF it brings up a, a, a thought in my mind, uh, kind of a chicken of the egg argument. What, what two week span w- was more important that two week span or the two week span, the almost three week span where they didn't have any games and they worked on offense and practice and they, they instituted uh, more, more defensive uh concepts more intricate to say defensive concepts you know like was that the is that the reason why they are where they are today or is it just is it not so much that i think it certainly helps i certainly think that helps. i'd still say this because you actually did it during this previous two-week stretch 
that's probably the the most important. But I, I I think you're right pointing out that I think that 19 days off, yes, they came out and lost to Tulsa. But the more and more you look at that, those Tulsa losses, they look more and more like matchup. Like Tulsa just looks like a terrible matchup for Memphis. Like it's like Tulsa's probably if I'm Memphis, aside from Houston, Tulsa's the one team I don't want to see in the AAC tournament. Man, I would make an argument. I would make an argument, and I know they haven't played Houston yet, but I'd make an argument that Tulsa's the bottom of the like the top yeah, of the well, and and because at least with Houston, you get the chance for a great win to right. to help your resume. Yeah, you're probably right. I think Houston. I think you're right. Tulsa's the team you least want to see in the AAC tournament. You do not want to see Tulsa if you're Memphis or a Memphis fan. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah. No. I think. I, I think this has been more. This has been more important just because you did it and you've right. and frankly i mean if we look at this big picture i mean they were going into that wichita state game they were number 71 in ken palm i believe that's correct and after starting the year number 39 now six games later they are up to 47 as of this morning in ken palm um and in the net they've moved up to number 60 i believe they were in the 80s or 90s when the first net came out okay i think they were 96 so they've moved up 36 35 or so spots in the net over the last two weeks and they've moved up um probably you know 25 spots or so in ken palm and it's because they haven't just been winning they've been you know they've been beating whether it's you know and this is something some sometimes people don't truly understand about Ken Palm and these computer metrics is the key is in moving up is not just winning. It's winning by more than the computer models expect you to win by. And whether it was the first UCF game, heck, even this most recent UCF game, the uh, ECU game on the road, uh, the Wichita State game, They've been winning by a lot more than the computer models think they should be winning by. And that's why you see them jumping up in the ranking in these 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 ratings. And now that, you know, if we take this big picture, Jason, we're looking at a situation where with nine games to go, Memphis is is 11 and six, nine regular season games. Memphis is 11 and six. And they will be favored in every game, according to Ken Baum, will be the favorite in every game they play the rest of the way, except the two against Houston. Yep. And it's setting up for, you know, I don't know if you want to like a big Valentine's Day um, afternoon before you go out with your wife or your husband um, or your significant other uh, partner, whatever, on Valentine's night, you're going to be watching a big Memphis Houston game if. Memphis takes care of business against ECU on Saturday and then uh, Cincinnati a week from today and uh, at home. Um, that's going to be a huge game at Houston all of a sudden, likely likely first place in the league on the line uh, when that game is played. Um, but you've set yourself up here I, I, w- with a path. Like it's, it's kind of amazing over 15 days, 16 days, Memphis has gone from, you know, us sitting here going, man, like, I don't know. I, you know, like it's going to be like, they, they got to win the conference tournament now. Like, I don't know if they can make the, they're not going to make the tournament unless they win the conference tournament 
to whereas now, 16 days later, because you went on this five wins and six game surge, you look at the schedule and there's a feasible, reasonable path to maybe work your way back into being an NCAA tournament at large team. And I would, you know, where it really became, you know, evident to me was the other night, this was before the second UCF game, a Tigers fan tweeted at Joe Lenardi, the ESPN bracketologist, you know, cause he was taking questions about teams on Twitter and said, if Memphis goes 10 and three, the rest of the way, with one one of those wins coming against Houston. And so keep in mind this was before the second UCF game and 10 and 3 would I would in this scenario if they're playing th- if they were playing 13 games from that point it would mean that Memphis won at, le- won at least two games in the conference tournament as well. Likely would mean they, they in this scenario they're probably making it to the conference tournament final and losing. Right. Um and so the the scenario is presented to to Joel and Artie, if they go 10 and three with one win over Houston, would Memphis be in serious contention for an NCAA tournament bid? And Joel and Artie said, yes. And I think that that, that, that scenario seems feasible to me because it basically says, okay, you beat Houston once, maybe you lose to, you know, whether I mean, you lose a road game, whether it's to Wichita state or to um, what other road games they have? I guess. I don't know. What? what? Cincinnati. Yeah, I guess you'd probably prefer the loss to be to Wichita State um, because they're actually uh, Wichita State or I guess South Florida or Cincinnati. They're all kind of you based on their Ken Palm rating net ranking. They're all, you know, like it wouldn't be great, but it wouldn't be devastating. You just don't want to lose any of your home games against Cincinnati or Temple or Tulane or, uh, you know, you don't want to lose those games, but it, it basically gives you room to, it gives you a margin for error, if you will, a margin for losing a game you're not supposed to lose. Like it just feels very doable, especially if they're playing the way they've been playing. I'm not saying they will do it. It just feels doable. Doesn't it? And if they do, yeah, I mean, yes, 100 percent it feels doable. <laughs> I mean, it is doable. Yeah. Uh again, and, that's not and, to say they will do it. Like, you know, right. who, who knows? It's it's college basketball. There's crazy results all the time. I mean, heck, last night ECU went, you know, beat Houston. Um right. and and you know, as Penny put it, dropped a bomb on the conference. Um, because now, like I said, Memphis now could with two games against Houston left. Memphis controls its own destiny uh, in the A. They could win the AAC regular season. I mean, again, will they do it? I don't know. But like the fact that like we can talk about all this now after, you know, these past two weeks is one remarkable and two refreshing. It's just, this is the fun part about college basketball. When you get to February and you're trying to figure out if your team can make the tournament or not. And the bottom line, the mor- the moral of this story is that um, despite the fact that, you know, despite the two losses to Tulsa, despite the, uh, the loss to VCU and the loss to Western Kentucky, which don't look very good um, right now, uh, despite all of that, what Memphis has done the last two weeks has, has, you know, it's like it's vaulted them 
into a position where, yes, you can't, it's reasonable, as you put it, it's reasonable to, um, to forecast, to, 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 to look at what could be and think it's realistic. And uh, it's just, it's kind of remarkable um, as, as we've noted uh, a few times here, it's kind of remarkable that, uh, that they've been able to do that after the uh, start that they got off to. I mean, they were what? What were they? Um, They're six and what? five. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a team that was six and five through eleven games with losses to Tulsa and, and Western Kentucky and uh, VCU. It, it it didn't look great, and uh, and and now here we are. So, um, well, and look, the, the reality is there's still more work to be done. They're not even on the bubble yet, really. Right, um, right. It's just you can see a path where they get on the bubble. Like if you go over to break it, bracket matrix, which tracks every uh, bracket major bracketologist in the country, uh, Memphis is not listed in any bracket as of today. Like no one is projecting them to be in the NCAA tournament if Selection Sunday were today. But like I said, they've created a path for themselves to to reach to get to that point, and. You know, but it involves, you know, not just beating Houston. Like, the focus is going to be on, man, There's that, there, that that Valentine's Day game could be potentially huge. But, like, frankly, the two next – the next two games against against East, uh, against uh, ECU and Cincinnati, just as important, actually, as the Houston game. Like, winning – not losing those games is just as important as winning the Houston game, I think. If not more important, yeah. I mean, because as we've discussed, you know, uh, they're not going to Memphis is not going to get dinged terribly if they lose in Houston. Now, losing to ECU or Cincinnati at home, you can you can forget all of this. Yeah, if you lose to ECU, all the work you did over the last two weeks basically disappears if you if you lose one of these home games. Uh, yeah. So for that, in that, in that respect, these next two games are more important than the game in Houston. Yeah. And at least right now it will be, uh, I, I, this, this game against ECU feels a little dangerous too, because, um, I, I'm gl- Here's what I'll say. I am glad is that it is at this game is at FedEx forum and Memphis got the game at ECU out of the way when it did, because in that game, yes, they won by almost 30 points and pretty much dominated from the get-go against ECU, just like they did in that first UCF game. But that was ECU's first game back from from a COVID break. They had eight scholarship players. They didn't have their head coach. And you saw last night, they beat Houston. And if you look, you know, I was going through Memphis' statistics. If you look at the statistics of scoring margin, like we associate ECU – as being one of the worst teams in the AAC because traditionally they are. And if you go by Ken Palm, they're one, you know, they are one of the two or three worst teams in the AAC, according to Ken Palm, but in scoring margin, Jason, they are sixth in the AAC. They, I, I personally think ECU is better than Cincinnati, better than UCF, better than Temple maybe even better than Tulane, although they've lost to Tulane. Um, but get this, get this real quick on the, on the EC on ECU's win over Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time 
Houston led in that game was with 18 and a half minutes left in the game. I mean, it was not, this was not some monster comeback. This was not some miraculous, um, you know, last second uh, buzzer beater or anything like that. This was a, it wasn't wire to wire by any stretch, but it, it, it was, it, it was not a um, fluke. It was not a fluke. And that's, you know, got, you know, you certainly can't overlook um, ECU after what they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, be, like I said, it's going to, the key's going to be again in this one. They, DeAndre Williams took out Jaden Hardaway or Jaden Hardaway, Jaden Gardner from, uh, from that first one. And if they can do that again, they'll win. They'll win again. Um, yeah, you know, Jaden Gardner. Jaden Gardner scored 21 points and had 15 rebounds and four assists against Houston yesterday. So yes, he is key. He is. Yeah. He is. No, he's, he's one of the leading scorers in the league. And yeah, um, you know that's another. Th- I mean, defensively, it feels like I'll say this: if Memphis can, the way they play defense, not just how hard and how good they are, but the number of defenses they're now playing like whether it's the press the different presses they're using the trapping they do I'll tell you this it reminded me you know I was thinking about this you know the earlier this week uh or last week I should say maybe late last week John Chaney the famous temple coach passed away and what was always remarkable about him was he took this little program at temple uh you know that was like in the a10 and not you know a nothing program uh, traditionally and took him to five elite eights over time. And every year he was like part of my childhood, like temple was going to be a seven seed and make a run in the NCAA tournament, you know? And sometimes they were higher than that, but the reason they were so good in the conference in the NCAA tournament is because that matchup zone they played was so hard to prepare for on short notice I think if Memphis can figure out how to get to the NCAA tournament, I think they're going to be really difficult. They're going to be a like they're going to be a really difficult matchup for whoever they play. Like if they're an 11, they're like going to be the 11 seed if they can get in. No one wants to play because right. preparing for all those defenses on short notice is going to be very difficult. Like I, I think they're going to be a very tough out in the NCAA tournament. I just don't know if they're going to get there. I don't know if they've, you know, like they still have more digging to do to get out of the hole that they dug themselves, yep. but they've done a lot of digging over the last two weeks. They've made some significant progress. So it's uh man, it's going to be fun. Like I said, this is, I love, you know, yes, obviously the most fun is when you have like a dominating right. team that is, you know, one, you know, you really think is a legitimate final four contender, but you know, it's certainly this is certainly a hell of a lot more fun uh, than it was two weeks ago. Like being able to talk about these hypotheticals, um, yeah. feeling like this this enterprise, this program is headed in the right direction. It's uh, it's been a lot. You know, I'm looking forward to to, to these next game, these games coming up, these last nine games. It, it's uh, could we could be in the midst of one heck of a story here. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun. To, it's really fun to to think about it um, in those terms. To think about, you know, to 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 try to. I think I think everybody should strive to do that. Should 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 really not overlook any of the minutia, uh, 
you know, in the midst of this, because, you know, if you, if you, by paying attention to it, it'll, 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 it'll heighten the, uh, the excitement even more. And, um, you know, let yourself, I mean, that's the thing is like, I understand, you know, people wanting to, uh, not get their hopes up so that, so that if, if they are dashed for, you know, somehow, uh, down the line, it's not going to hurt as bad, but I don't know. I, I say, let yourself feel good. Let yourself uh, get excited and, and, and just, you know, enjoy the ride. That's, it's that's it's the, the best thing. and worst part about being a fan. You just right. gotta, you know, you let your, you know, it's like exhilarating on the way up and it can be really d- disappointing on the way down. But those few times, you know, you're, those few times where it's magical, man, it just, you know, makes you a fan for life. I'm sure people listening to this, you know, they have, there's, there's Memphis teams of the past that just reeled them in and, you know, it made, it makes you willing to sit through six years without NCAA tournaments and still be a rabid fan because you, you they reeled you in before and they're going to reel you in again. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's yep. not, but there's a chance now, you know, there's, there's a chance this could be a, a, a very, uh, very fun month of basketball for, for Memphis and Memphis fans. So, um, we'll be chronicling it all over at commercialappeal.com. Uh, Jason has an interesting story up right now, uh, post-UCF game, pre-ECU, about uh, another stat we didn't talk about here uh, that he did some digging on in terms of – a stat in terms of how Memphis is stopping runs of other teams and how that is uh, – and how that is is helping them during this surge. So check that out at commercialappeal.com, and we'll have – obviously coverage of the ECU game uh, and, and we'll join you next week, probably ahead of that big game uh, against Cincinnati um, next or, uh, next Thursday. So uh, till then I was Mark. I was joined by Jason. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, enjoy this run by Memphis basketball. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.